Welcome to another episode of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we are joined by Akira Brand, a developer relations professional at Bright Security. Welcome, Akira. Hi. Hey, it's great to have you on the uh, podcast today. And it was nice to meet you last week at Black Hat. So we're recording this the week after Black Hat. And we got to meet in person and uh, also got to see Tanya Jenkin. And uh, it was nice to spend some time with you in person. Well, thank you. It feels like it was so much longer than a week ago. (laughs) I know. It's crazy, crazy. But successful conference for you? Oh, yeah. It was really good. We made a lot of really good connections. I had fantastic conversations. I had a lot of luck with people really opening up about some of their struggles, especially when it comes to relating and working with dev teams. So I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit today and excited to share my findings. Oh, awesome. Before I jump in and I'll plug one of my other podcasts that we're working on is actually a little debrief on Black Hat and my thoughts on should people that are new to cybersecurity go to Black Hat or DEF CON and the pros and cons of those. But that's an upcoming episode. But today we'll focus on uh, developer relations. So we're really happy to join you, join us today to talk about developer relations and really what that means. So Can you explain a little bit about what the developer relations uh, does uh, day in and day out? Sure. Um, So let me give you a little context first and foremost as to why this role exists. So a lot of SaaS products right now are developer focused. So they are developer tools. Their primary customers are software developers, not necessarily just end users in a different niche or a different segment of the population. But the thing about marketing to developers is that with traditional marketing efforts, it's really going to fall flat because developers really want to understand how a product works. They want to take it apart. They want to poke at it. They want to prod at it. They want to see what parts of it are maybe not so stable, what parts of it applies to them. And typical marketing cannot answer these questions for developers. So I think it was actually back in the early days of Apple where they came up with this idea of getting developers to talk to other developers to essentially get generate excitement and uh, usage of their product. So that's what developer relations solves, is how do these SaaS products cross this sort of barrier to selling to developers in a way that developers can understand and that also provides real value to them so that we're not wasting anybody's time. Mm. What I will say is that I've held official developer relations jobs in two companies so far, and the day-to-day work of both of those companies could not have been more different. Mm. So it really depends on the needs of the particular company, what type of work you'll be doing. For example, when I worked at FusionAuth, which is an authentication and authorization shop, we had to focus on a particular part of the funnel that was more necessary for the business's needs. So I did a lot of writing. I wrote a lot of tutorials. I spent a lot of time on customer forums, being a little more customer facing to answer particular questions about the product. So it was a little bit more of like product support. And um, again, a lot of writing. At Bright Security, we're trying to get our name out there So I'm doing a lot of speaking and a lot of educating. So I give a lot Mm. of workshops. I do go to quite a few conferences where I speak to a lot of customers at the booth. Um, However, developer relations is not sales. I like to think of it more as educating people about a product, but more so than just educating them about a product, but maybe about the segment of the industry that the product operates inside of. So... 
when a developer comes to Bright, they may not know a lot about cybersecurity because, of course, that's not their niche. That's not their day-to-day work. So part of my job is to educate them about cyber in general. Like, here's what you mm. know. Here's the different tools. Here's what these tools solve. Here's the problems you might come up against and how to integrate that into a developer's day-to-day life. That makes sense. So it sounds like really two different interesting use cases of how people, uh, how organizations are leveraging your skill set as a developer to really communicate what the solutions are that both these companies are doing. So for our listeners, really another unique way for maybe a developer that doesn't want to be necessarily hands-on keyboard but still wants to leverage their intellect and their skills in a very different way. And that is to ultimately help allow companies as opposed to spamming uh, people to really be more creative and more practical and I think more uh, informational driven in terms of how people can use the technology. Maybe two seconds, if you don't mind, on what Bright Security does. Maybe our listeners aren't familiar with Bright Security. Yeah, absolutely. So Bright, oh, now I'm on the spot. I got to I gotta be able to communicate it well. <laughs> so much. So Bright Security is a DAST company. So we create a tool called a Dynamic Application Security Testing Tool. And what that does is it looks at your application while it's running and interacts with it like an end user would or a pen tester would or a malicious actor would to mm. see uh, what kind of vulnerabilities we can find. But Mm. so much more than that, our overall mission and vision of Bright is to be able to integrate DAS tooling into every single section of a developer's workflow. So Mm. DAS as it is right now is is broken just in general, um, where people don't use this very powerful tool on their code to test it until maybe right before they ship the entire thing to production. And that's too late. Because right. you are going to find all kinds of bugs. It's crunch time. The security team's already on your back. It's too stressful. And most of those bugs are not going to get fixed before the app ships. It's too late. Mm. Right. So we're trying to integrate our tooling into every section of the software development lifecycle, which is what is an industry we call shifting left, right? Mm, exactly. So, as opposed to doing a scan before prod, we're trying to get people to use our tool uh, as early on as the unit testing phase. Um, and then after using it in the unit testing phase, you can integrate it into a CICD pipeline and maybe you know it adds an extra 15 minutes, but you're finding all these vulnerabilities much sooner. So then by the time you've used the DAS tool in the unit testing phase, you've used it in the CICD, then you can run a full-blown scan right before the production is, but you're going to already have remediated over half your issues. So you're not going to be shipping as many bugs into production, which is always a win. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, for our listeners. You'll hear a lot of conversations in forums about this shift left. And the idea is that with companies like Bright Security and some of their competitors, which we won't plug on our show because they're not on our show, but they're all trying to help create developer-friendly ways to be able to eliminate cybersecurity vulnerabilities. And that's a big part of ultimately shipping safer code is what it's all about. So what do you think the biggest challenge, like why isn't everybody in the world just doing this today? Why aren't developers just, hey, absolutely, let's embrace this shift left. Like, why are we still having to evangelize this idea? And I know we're much further than we are even two years ago, but we're still evangelistic about this mission. Sure. That's a really good question. And there's so many reasons that I don't think we're going to cover all of them here. So I'll just (laughs) maybe a few. Sure. 
from my personal experience, I was never taught this stuff in school. So I went to a coding boot camp and it was a fantastic boot camp, really prepared me well. But we never talked about security ever. I've taught collegiate level courses for coding. And the only things we've talked about with security are really sort of obtuse, esoteric security concepts that don't apply to developers' day-to-day lives. So I think that's number one, is that there's no formal developer-centric education around cybersecurity. It's sort of siloed, right? There's writing software, and then there's cybersecurity, and ne'er the twain shall meet. Mm -hmm. Um, Another big issue I see, and that I heard a lot at Black Hat from all sides of the coin, is that the communication between the security team and the dev team is not cohesive. They're not working together well in like an agile or a DevOps approach. It's more something, like I said, like you're about to push this huge app to production or you're about to push your section of code to production or whatever it is. And then the security team will ping you bing, on Slack and then, hey, <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, guess what? Have you thought about this? Yeah. <laughs> have you There's a whole bunch that? of things you need to go fix. Right. <laughs> You're not shipping that tomorrow. <laughs> Here, here's three weeks worth of work. Yeah, exactly. And the devs are like, actually, I am shipping this tomorrow because I would like to get paid very much. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'd like to keep yes. my job. Thank you. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So there's just, there's not a lot of efficiency in the system. And I know DevOps is doing their best to fix this. DevSecOps exists for a reason, right? But until the workflows come together, I think we're going to continue to see this issue over and over and over again. So for me, those are my two components is education and then just the workflow process being a little more smooth. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I I know you do a lot of speaking on this topic to just help with the educational aspect of this. So I think that it's definitely something we have to continue to do. And whenever we have opportunities to speak with college students or even college professors to talk about quote unquote the real world, like we have to help colleges and other places where people are learning to code about the importance of cyber as a part of the process so that it's not ship it and then our customers or our beta testers for our security flaws and or even worse our hackers are beta testers for our security flaws and that itself takes a quite a bit of uh time and effort to ultimately remediate and hopefully you know we don't have a a worst case scenario with a breach right so i'd love to talk switch a little bit um uh topics in terms of your background and uh, you're not the first person that's been on our podcast with a musical background. There actually have been several. And I uh, was just wondering why you think there's an affinity to music that draws people into uh, cybersecurity. Sure. Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. Again, a little context for our listeners. My musical background is I am a professional opera singer. I've been doing that for over 10 years, I did that full time before I made the transition into tech and I still perform on a very regular basis. So I'm actually part of a group called Artists Who Code, which is a, it's actually getting quite large. It's a group mm. of people that have all transitioned from a professional performing arts background to a either software developer or cybersecurity or some kind of tech pursuit. 
And uh, I posed the question to many of them about why, why do you think this is the case? Because I have my ideas, and but I mean, I'm just one person, right? So we kind of all came to this conclusion that what it really comes down to is the process of making music is a, almost a one-to-one mapping over the process of writing code or honestly doing anything else technical. But you can't just sit down and learn the entire symphony in one day. That's not possible. You will be too tired. There's not enough hours in the day and your technique will just be garbage. So what you must do is you must isolate these individual phrases. You must isolate these individual pieces of this score. And then you practice maybe a measure at a time. So maybe five seconds worth of music at a time and you perfect the technique on that five seconds and then you move to the next five seconds and the next five seconds and so on and so forth so you're naturally training your brain to take this huge piece of work and break it down into tiny segments and then laser focus on those segments try a lot of different things make sure that the technique is correct and then move on to the next tiny segment Mm. well in my coding journey it's the same thing that i've learned so when I was learning how to code, I remember like hearing something about Rails. I was like, well, what's Rails? I don't know what that means. And when I was in code school and learning how to code, they didn't just throw Rails at you. They weren't like, okay, like Rails-N, like figure it out. They taught you with tiny, tiny little segments. Like this is a string. This is a mm-hmm. number. This is an if-else statement, right? And through learning those little tiny segments, now I can look at a large project. Like, for example, I'm going to build a Rails project. Well, what's the next tiny thing I need to do? What's the next tiny Mm. thing I need to do after that? And then you can play with the code. You can refactor it. You can have many different ways to solve the same tiny problem in your functions, right? So, like I said, the the process is... really interesting. Never thought about it that way. Process is 100% the same. Wow, so, that's, that's very really, natural. yeah, well, that's that's really helpful. I, I am amazed at the number of CISO calls that I do or even in the podcast where I do see people with instruments in the background. And that's uh, really uh, very enlightening as to, to what the what the synergies are. And it, it does make uh, for a lot of a lot of sense when you think about it that way. And uh, I think about it as a CEO of a cybersecurity company. And I talk with our team a lot about what our two-year vision is, but then I always try to relate it to, okay, but what do we need to do today? And what does each individual need to do that? So that, to your point, you're breaking it down a, a monumental task to be the leader in API security. Okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, and what are the things that we need to do? So that's really a, a, a nice correlation that helps me understand uh, the mind of a musician, which uh, I I played drums for a little bit in in high school. I wasn't very good, and I, I didn't have a massive passion for it. But I am in. I watch somebody play piano, or like you sing opera, and I am just in awe of that uh, skill set and the the, the the talent that it takes. So I'm glad you have a passion for that as well, and that you still get to fill that side of you. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, one thing I'll I'll say at the very end of that is uh, sometimes in business it can feel a little dry. And like you just said, Gene, as like the CEO of a, of a company, you can even think of yourself as a composer, right? You can think of yourself as a movie director or some kind of very creative pursuit because that's you are creating something in the world, right? Yeah, you're creating yeah. this API company. It's not, you're not just filing papers and yeah. looking at numbers. Like you're, you're making something, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and I think that anything entrepreneurial 
relates to the arts as well because of that process. No, for sure, for sure. So finally, as evidence uh, from the recent Blackcast conference that, as, as we mentioned, we both attended, cybersecurity has a diversity problem. So in prep of this podcast, you told us that diverse thought is the key to cybersecurity. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one thing I'm learning right now, uh, I'm relatively new to InfoSec and I'm diving really deep into some topics. And the topic that I'm diving deep into right now is threat modeling. And I heard quite a lot of interesting hot takes on threat modeling, things like communities or things like relationships, more like tangible human, I guess, uh, interactions that people experience every day. And the cybersecurity community can be threat modeled, as it were. And Mm. I think that one of the biggest threats or points of failure in the cybersecurity community is that we have a basic lack of diversity. And this is not to say that the people that are in it, which is, you know, mainly white males, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like a problem. And when you only have one perspective, potentially, or one kind of background, you can have a lot of engineering problems. <laughs> There's a story about in the 60s, in the 1960s, when seatbelts were becoming a thing in cars. The people that were designing them were mainly male. And when they shipped these seatbelts, many females were dying, actually. They were being crushed by the seatbelt in hmm. an auto accident because the seatbelt was designed for male body because that's all they had. They, they just had only prototypes of men in the office. So, of course, that's all they were designing for. And the female mm. body and the male body are very different. And right. the females were getting crushed by the seatbelt. So, mm. But I, I truly think that that's an example of an engineering failure that because they didn't have a diversity of genuine individuals that looked different, mm. built differently. And I think in in the world of knowledge work, it's the same thing. It's just that we have to have a diversity of thoughts so that we can fill right, these gaps right. and not make these huge mistakes. No, it makes sense. And I think that it's, uh, I know from the guests that I have on this podcast, it's definitely top of mind for all of us. Uh, we need to continue to encourage people of all backgrounds to join the fight. And I think that we have the opportunity within cybersecurity because we have such a big supply demand offset where we can take additional creative risk with people that maybe don't have as much experience. And by the way, also have a diverse background where it's much easier to say, okay, hey, every every role needs five years of experience. Well, if that's the bar, then we're tend to going to continue to get what we get. But because we can be more creative on this side of it, I think it is a great opportunity. And I know it's top of mind and we'll, we'll continue to look for ways uh, as an industry to encourage uh, a diverse community to be a part of the fight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what comes out of there's so many initiatives right now. There's things like, you know, Chick Tech, Women Who Code, Artists Who Code, any any kind of diverse background yeah. you can get. If we can lower the bar, not like lower the bar, that's not the right word. No, I know what you mean. Allow for, for more creative. Yeah, open it. Yeah, open the the door. Yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) So let's remove the bar altogether. I think that's a great way to do it. So as Akira mentioned, do your Google searches on finding your niche within cybersecurity, find your tribe. That could be a great way to enter 
the industry for so those that are mid musicians that are thinking about get, getting in you know there's a group for you so uh, and i'm sure you could reach out directly to akira and you'll help to steer people in the right direction so awesome well akira i really thank you for being a guest on the executive security podcast another great episode i think you gave us some great insights to what you do in terms of your role of helping de developers uh, really understand what cybersecurity is and how to think about it. And I wish you and the, the team at Bright Security all the best. Thank you, Gene. Thanks for having me.